Scripture this morning is from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 4, and Zechariah verses 9 and 10. First Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, for comfort, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of the faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. And from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will rule. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. It's the word of the Lord. This is the second Sunday in Advent, and we have taken up the theme for Advent, and it seems appropriate now. You choose the Advent theme well well before Advent, of course, in a church, but uh, I, I am mindful of how a theme that simply says peace on earth. Uh, it, there's any time, any time in our contemporary world that that would be uh, very relevant, but it seems uh, somewhat more striking uh, this year. And today we take up this theme of the promise of peace. Uh, what is the what is the nature of, of peace that God promises? What what is its type? I wanted to start by showing you a few photos that were supposed to go into our Advent book that James advertised that uh, didn't make it in. It's not that they missed the cut or anything. It's that Ken and I are working on this together, and sometimes things get lost. And so it's not only a form of apology to the people who gave us these photos, but it fits uh, uh, the sermon. Christmas photos are very evocative. Uh, by the way, that word evocative is, is one that, that should be recovered from kind of a sense of, um, uh, it's, not, it's not just a gritty word, it means to evoke. And so I know they're evocative because they evoke in you emotion, they evoke in you nostalgia, and because you're self-centered like everybody else in this room, when you see that photo, you think of your Christmases, right? See how that works? It doesn't mean you're doing something bad, it just means you think of yourself, uh, like most people do, as, as a default. That there, in case you didn't know, is Irene Ferguson with her brother Bill in 1960-something. And, of course, for Irene, this photo would have tremendous meaning. Bill is no longer with us. Um, Christmas photos are really evocative. They're hopeful, right? You gather together in celebration and hope. 
This is a picture of a home group gathering not that many years ago. Faye's in there and Carl. Who else is in there? Bill and Lois are there. I won't have to. Je- John and Jenny are there. You see, you see, um, you see Joyce Go Martin in there? And there's Bert Daw and Peggy. Some Christmas hats and reindeer antlers. And Don and June are there, aren't they? And they're here today. Well, there you go. <laughs> Sorry? Okay. Uh, and next, now you have to pick this one out. She was in the previous photo as well. This is um, Lois Sagi on Santa's lap <laughs> in 1940-something. <laughs> I always notice the Santas from a long time ago look, to me, more disturbing even than the current Santas. <laughs> We've come a long way. (laughs) These images of Christmas. Because you can take Christmas, I know some of you are doing this already, it's such an easy thing to do. Christmas becomes a list. The things you have to do, the things you have to buy. That's just your responsibilities. But the list of things that you wish would happen to have so-called a good Christmas. And then some of you have this heavy weight if you've experienced loss or if you're celebrating differently this year, maybe uh, you're in the place where your kids are growing up and they're out of town or they've moved away and you're not going to have the gathering that you used to have. And so you're already thinking, I can't check off the boxes of what it means to have a good Christmas. Did any of you yet go and cut down a Christmas tree? You could check that box. Or chestnuts roasting on an open... Nobody does that. But maybe apple cider... Christmas music at your house decorating the tree or various gatherings and so you go check, 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 check and it all equals in the bottom line the way we do accounting we had a good Christmas. But I want to add one note that is a box to check as well. First of all, I, I, as you know, I would struggle with that practice altogether, though I can do the same thing. Because the way that we live our lives, these are the natural things of our lives. That those of us who have children will have maybe one, two, three, or four Christmases that have that magic of them opening a gift and going, I can't believe it! Or something, and you videotape it and you think, and you, I don't, we don't have that anymore. But listen to this. It's okay. Because Christmas is more than those experiences. They can be good, but what God wants you to to notice this Christmas is his presence for your life now. And I will guarantee you 100%, it is just as strong and just as sweet if you would open to it. But it isn't necessarily a box that can be checked. You may experience that in great loss. You may experience that with limitations that you have now that you did not have 10, 15, 20 years ago. And if you're looking to check the boxes to have a good Christmas, it won't work. But if you're open to God's presence to have a good Christmas, it will work better than ever. So I add one box, and that's what I call the Christmas minefield, with my apologies to, to you know, actual people who are experiencing actual difficulties. But the kind of difficulties that we sometimes call difficulties in this world, the Christmas minefield is one of them. What it means in my thinking is that we have to navigate at Christmas through various landmines. It's like a minefield. There's a family thing that could blow up. If I touch that, I I thought it looked good. I thought it was just us getting together. Boom! And go shopping. And this store makes this promise. And if I just find this gift. All these promises, great promises of Christmas. 
And then we're warned even in advance, right? You turn on the TV and hear consumer reports. It's all health and consumer reports now. They've taken over most of the news. You don't even, you know, a lot of the news you don't hear, unless it's a really fearful thing like happened this week, then you get a lot of it. But, you know, local news is health and consumer reports. And one of the consumer reports at this time of year is always how to avoid overspending. I know how to do it. I don't always do it. But here's how to do it. Don't spend so much. But they make it a big deal, right? But the way that they say it is watch out for the techniques and tricks of the people who would sell things to you. In other words, that's a Christmas minefield. Warnings about overindulging. And warnings because behind many of these promises is this great truth. It is great, though not at first. Behind many of the promises, and we can say this in church, is this great realization. The promises aren't true. They don't deliver. They might be boxes you can check. Last week we started with uh, looking at, uh, in, in terms of peace on earth, looking at the need for peace. And we said, and it's a little bit like these check boxes, that some, for some of us, the struggle can be, we know we're supposed to feel certain things at Christmas. So if we don't feel the things we're supposed to feel, then we find ourselves in all kinds of stress or anxiety or whatever. This week, I want to turn that around a little bit and say, it's not that we're expecting too much. It's that we're expecting far too little. In other words... We have turned to these promises that we're hearing all around us in this culture and we're acting as if they're true, even though we know they're not. Isaiah chapter 11. And it's like the Isaiah 35 text that Peter read for us. Isaiah 11 says this, The lion will lay down with the lamb, the leopard with the baby goat. The child will reach into the snake's den without harm. And a little child shall lead this little parade of worshipers. That's the promise of peace that's connected to the coming Messiah. The trouble is that many of you, actually none of us, really believe it. And so we buy lesser promises. And even evaluate our experience based on how much those lesser promises were fulfilled. Scripture can for us sound as if it is too good to be true. I think it was in one of our Advent readings that I was, that I, I don't send them out, Amanda sends them out, but I, I wrote them. And that promise, like, it, do you really celebrate when you save a few bucks? I know you do. I know you do. Because I do too, and I don't care about money as much as some people. So, I mean, you save a few dollars, what do you do? You tell somebody else, I got this for such and such. You think that's worth celebrating. How about this promise? No more death. No more pain. You could barely hear that one. Too good to be true and we accept the minor promises instead. And then it's dangerous to turn on our televisions because we see all kinds of happy people. I saw an ad for London Drugs. Now, I I hate to disparage London Drugs because it is one of our best stores. Not many people hate being in London Drugs, unless it's to get a prescription, I guess. You know, but they have everything, don't they? Well, they say they do, anyway. And this ad for London Drugs has happy person after happy person, and they just take up your big 55-inch, I don't have one of those, but a big flat-screen TV, and they're all filled with these little boxes of happy people with things. 
So there's a young woman with new headphones. I guess they're really good headphones, and she probably wants them for Christmas. And there's a guy with a camera, and there's somebody with a blender, because blenders these days are fantastic. Something like that, right? And it just goes, and it's so happy and so upbeat. And the end says this. And the only, there's only three words on the screen, but the, but the voiceover says more than that. The voiceover says, everything you need for, and then the three words on the screen, everything you need for a perfect Christmas. So there you go. We can leave this building right now. The London Drugs is very close. And we can go down and we can say, we're just checking out your ad because we're, we're all told that you have everything we need for a perfect Christmas. Jen and I were watching CNN, probably about the latest mass shooting in the United States, which has become completely surreal to me. But you can talk to me about that personally, if you so choose. But we're watching CNN. Actually, it was before the one in San Bernardino. It was a number of days ago. And an ad came on. It's a more obscure ad, not the kind that we see locally all the time, because I guess there was no Canadian you know, feed covering over, so you get the American ads. And this one was for a Christmas tree, a fake automatic Christmas tree. I think you literally just had to think about it in storage, and it found a way to automate itself, open the storage door, walk to where you programmed it to be in the living room. The box opened up and became part of the tree or something like that. That's what it felt like because it was saying, this tree is the answer to everything you've ever wanted. And everything was automatic. It decorated itself, the lights, you didn't have to do anything. Jen and I are watching this, and then the woman who's has a perfect life setting this up beautifully, just tapped a button or something. And she said, are you ready for this? She said, this tree gives me, it was one of these things, three easy payments. I mean, of course they're easy. Three very difficult payments of a lot of money. <laughs> she, so, you know, you couldn't even maybe even get it in the store. But she said, this tree gives me, are you ready for it? Because there's another promise. This tree gives me peace of mind. So I did what I do, and I started yelling at the TV. (laughs) Jen's sitting beside me, and I literally started yelling, It's not true! You're lying! (laughs) I guarantee, I said to Jen, she wasn't really listening to me, I guarantee you that that tree does not give that woman peace of mind. And usually Jen just rolls her eyes and waits for me to finish talking like that. But this time, as I kept yelling, she said, Todd, I think that she means the tree gives her peace of mind about tree selection. Still, it's still a lie. (laughs) So here's what we do. We hear these grand promises about the perfect Christmas and everything you need. And I simply put before you, and it's a quick turn, but I do so mindfully. Just put this question in your mind. What would it be like if we could truly discover in God, in Christ, that we already have everything we need? I'd still put up a Christmas tree because I like putting up a tree. We were down at Dykoff's yesterday. We've got our tree down there. Sorry to anybody who's selling Christmas trees for charity. I have like eight different people, and usually I try to go get one of them. But anyway, I don't know anybody down there, but we went our tree there yesterday. And we, this is what Jen and I are like. We saw the biggest tree they had, and it was so big that it would have been like the Griswold family Christmas if we had bought that one. And she said, You're, Jen likes the large trees even more than me. And, and, I, and I looked at it and I thought, yeah, this is the big tree we're going to get. But you couldn't even move it. Like, you couldn't even carry it. Even the guy at the thing said, is your base, is your base big enough for this trunk? 
sounds like this. I still put up a Christmas tree. But what if we could truly discover in Christ that we have everything we need? Here's what we do. We hear these grand promises of the culture around us. We know they're not true. But we do this. We think, well, I guess that's all there is in life, and so I'll give myself to that. We roll our eyes at ads like that, but we live as if we accept them, resigning ourselves to a life of mere contentment. The struggle with that is, some years you will feel that kind of contentment, and other years you won't. And what do you do then? If we lack the spiritual maturity to see the emptiness of the promises of the world, that's a problem. But it's a greater problem if we lack the spiritual maturity to see the all-encompassing promises of God. And can I say in this room right now, many of us, many of you, lack that spiritual maturity to see the all-encompassing promises of God. And so you're reacting to some form of Christianity that you think the church is offering or that you're hearing in the media or whatever it might be. God with us is a promise and a fulfillment. And to people in darkness, this is large and evocative language. To people who were exiles, cut off from their own land, this is the prophets, this is Isaiah, writing to people who were experiencing tremendous loss and pain. The language is evocative, hopeful, and ecstatic, and has a one-day element to it. Isaiah 35 that Peter read for us. The blind will see. Those in captivity will be freed. Listen to this. The one who was in sorrow, faint of spirit. Do we have any people? You don't have to raise your hands because it would be most of you, or many of us. Sorry, that sounds accusatory. But faint in spirit. At least we can identify with it at some times. Those who are faint in spirit instead will, be, will put on garments of joy and celebration. Broken down ruins will be rebuilt and recovered and renewed. And the lame, this is how, how strong this language gets, the one who is lame will leap for joy. And the one who cannot speak will shout praises of gratitude and thanksgiving. That's the language of the promises of God connected to the coming of the Messiah. The question is, why do we not believe it? Because so often we come to Scripture as we come to the news of a pre-Christmas sale, expecting that, well, they're saying all this, but it really doesn't work out that way. At this time of year, one of the truths of community newspapers is revealed, and that is that they exist partially and sometimes wholly as delivery systems for local stores or real estate agents. Because you pick up your North Shore news if you get it delivered to your house, and I mean, you need, you might hurt your back. Particularly right before Christmas, because they skip Christmas and go to Boxing Day sales. So you pick this thing up, and it's just laden. And I picked up our North Shore news a couple of weeks ago, and there were ads for Black Friday in there. The store shall remain unnamed. It's a big anchor store down at Capilano Mall. That's an American store based in Alabama, but I won't name it. And they had a Black Friday sale. In fact, they said, this is the beginning of our Black Friday week sale. (laughs) Christmas is a day, but Black Friday is a week now. 
Black Friday starts tomorrow. Actually, it starts the day before Black Friday. It starts on American Thanksgiving and runs for six days. And on the Friday and the Saturday, there will be, are you ready for this? There's going to be door crashers. And when they say door crashers, they mean door crashers, right? You know that. Like, the better the deal, the more people you hurt to get it. And then you win. And here's the door crashers that they advertise. This is entirely true. Test me on it. I, I recycled the ad, but we could look it up and find it. And these were two door crashers, Friday morning and Saturday morning. One was on a television and one was on a gaming system. The television was listed for 400 uh, four, and if you get the door crasher, this fantastic flat screen TV will be yours for only, are you ready, Four ninety nine eighty eight. It's a good deal. And the gaming system, which everybody wants, all the people, the, the kids want, the gaming system with the new good game is only going to be three hundred and ninety nine eighty eight. but you got to get here in the first hour for the door crashers. So I kept reading the fine print, and it literally said, under each ad, not even at the bottom of the page, it said, here's the price for the rest of the week. In other words, if you miss the door crasher. The gaming system, door crasher, $399.88. Rest of week. So this is, the, this is the punishment you pay if you don't crash the door. Rest of week. So uh, the, the door crasher price, remember, what is it? $399.88. Rest of week, $399.99. Eleven cents. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. The television. Now you know what this is going to be, right? Television was listed for four ninety nine eighty eight. Door crusher only. If you miss the door crusher, how much do you think it is? Four ninety nine ninety nine. You could save in a bundle twenty two cents. So you say, like you're doing right now, that's crap. That doesn't make any sense. It's silliness. But we give our lives to these kind of promises. What would the line be for you? Fifty bucks? Then it's worth it? Because money, of course, has ultimate value in our world. What if you saved a hundred bucks? Would you crash the doors for that? This is what we take to our understanding of the promises of Scripture. Here's the line. I know what the line is for you in saving money. Some of you would go if it was fifty bucks. Some of you would go if it was twenty bucks. It, there's sometimes a correlation between the one who would save $20 and how much money they have, but not always, because sometimes the people who have the most money have the most money because they just hate spending money, right? But so, for some people, saving 20 bucks would be really worth it. For some people, that would be 50 or 100 What would it be? Here's the line that I know. I know this for you. The line is this. Whatever savings would allow you to say, this makes me feel better, that's what will get you there. And if you feel better, you'll tell your friends about it, and nobody's going to say that for 11 cents. That's the line. You don't think the promises are true. You just think, it might make me feel better. It might make me more content. It might add to this that I've described as my life now. Here's my contention in this whole message. That's the mistake that we make when we go to the promises of God. It's not that God's promises can't and won't make us feel better, sometimes in the immediate. But if you put that on them, you're treating them the same way that you treat the promises of the world, even the empty promises. And so you say, well, yeah, sure, the lame will leap for joy and the blind will see and all that. That's pretty big. But my only question is, am I going to feel better? 
See how what you're doing is you're taking God's promises and you're bringing them way down here and you're making them so much smaller than they are. Those people who were given those promises, did some of them who are off in exile, who may have been blind or lame, did some of them actually leap for joy or see? Maybe some of them did, but I can guarantee you that some of them didn't. But many of them would say, we know the fulfillment of this promise. And that's Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. This lowly king coming to the city the one that we identify as the Messiah, the one that we, well, the text identifies as Messiah, and we identify as Jesus Christ. Behold, your king is coming, righteous and having salvation. See that big promise? I mean, we're in. We're going to win whatever enemies we've identified, and always be careful identifying enemies. God's given us many things about that, that that's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous road. And most of the time, I'll put it this way, most of the time, not Christian. But this is the promise. Your king is coming righteous and having salvation. And we say we're okay with that because we're going to get what we would like. But the text continues. But humble and riding on a donkey. The foal, this young donkey. And we say, what? The king should come with weapons, commanding an army, taking over. Not the foal of a donkey, not a lowly king. What's this image of? For Christians, this is the image of the triumphal entry. Jesus entering Jerusalem. It's prophecy. But there's the contrast in it. The promise is the king will come and you will have and know everything you need. And so you celebrate. But the nature of the fulfillment is what? Humble and lowly. And that's why we have the danger. Christmas should always confound you. It should always make you think, How can this be the answer to everything I need? But that's the Christian declaration. And what did the people do the day that Jesus came into the city on a donkey soon after? First they screamed praises, but quickly they became disillusioned and turned away. This contrast of victory and lowly and God as a child. In this room, both are here. We're glad you like the lights and the stars because, you know, it's Christmas time. But there's the manger too. Lowly and humble and in many ways helpless. What child is this laid to rest? Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Hail, hail the word made flesh. The babe, the son of Mary. Advent and the second advent, the coming again of Jesus Christ. Our victory. Revelation chapter 2. Jesus after uh, crucifixion and resurrection. His feet glowing like bronze in a furnace. And his voice like the sound of rushing waters. The one who has overcome the world. But this is the one who came to earth in a manger. The lowly manger to the shepherds. And above that though the star. And here's the contrast. You can look up and see Emmanuel. God with us. But you can see also the shadow of the cross. In this manger. And in Jesus Christ these things come together. So we're not going to go down the street. And uh, demand that London Drugs follow through. On their promotional thing. That they'll give us everything we need. For a perfect Christmas. Start a conversation with somebody down there. Just on your own. Well they'll just want you gone. Because you know and they know. The true nature of their promise. And what's the true nature of their promise? It has nothing to do with making you know, a perfect Christmas. That's, well that's secondary. The first one is this. If you give me money I'll give you something. That's it. But that's not a great ad. 
right? If you have money, come here. We have things that we'd like you to buy. They're most, that's, by the way, honestly, no matter how much even the best store or other th- whatever else it is, we're in it for this, we're in it for this, we're in it for this. Here's the secret. You ready? They're in it for the money. Now listen to Isaiah 55. I'm just going to read it. I want you to listen. Close your eyes if it helps you better. This is the promise of the living God. Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money. And without cost. It's a flyer you'll never see. Where a store says, just come. You don't need money. The promise of God in the Messiah come to earth is not only for those who can afford it. The promise is not only for those who find themselves this year part of what they would describe as a lovely family scene. The promise is not only for those who are healthy. The promise is not only for those who have made it and can, and can construct the perfect little holiday, maybe even get away. Jesus in his incarnation and taking on flesh in that smelly animal stall reached into the darkest of all places. And if there was an ad over this stall, I'd have to censor it for you because the second word we couldn't have in church. But it would be better than saying smelly. Well, there you go. You got it? Thank you. Todd was trying to get me to get this word. That word? Yes, that word. Ends with a Y. Two T's in there. You got it. Okay. This is the ad over the stall. A smelly animal stall. Everything you need for a perfect Christmas. It's more true than any other promise. And when you see it, if you see it by the power of the Holy Spirit, you do only one thing, maybe another later, but first only one thing. You say in your mind and to God, you say, how could this be? For me, how could this be? I'm sinful. Come. I'm not worthy. For me, but I'm sick. There are people, we've prayed for some of them, there are people who are facing death. They're looking at the possibility of death in the foreseeable next few weeks, months. For me? Come. But I'm lonely. I don't have what they have. What Christmas means to them, because they've got this family, it means something so different to them. How could this be for me? Come. This is everything you need for a perfect Christmas. Or you come with your regret. I've screwed up my life and other people's lives. How could I experience a good Christmas? Because I'll just be reminded of that. Come. Jesus born into this scene, into this earth, should have been enough for us to see. If he had have just come to earth and maybe be born in a nice hotel or hospital. 
Maybe that should have been enough for us to see, but we could we wouldn't have. And here's the proof that we wouldn't have seen if he'd have done that. We can't even see, and he came in a manger. A feeding trough. Think he's afraid of words like the one we put in the ad? He's not. He was born in a feeding trough. Emmanuel. God with us. There is no place, no place in your experience, your life, or this earth, there is no place that is too dark for Jesus Christ to redeem. His promise is not of an earthly nature, like we're used to accepting and peddling, save this much, when really all it means is this will make you feel kind of better. The promise of Jesus Christ is the promise of salvation and life. He came not out of self-interest, not benefit to him. He's not, you know, it's not a switch and bait with him. And sometimes Christians and religious people can sell it like that. You know, this is really for your good, but God really wants to get you. Like, you're, you're bad. It's not how Jesus treats it. It's not benefit to him that you come. It's the salvation that he offers you. This afternoon, now I'm going to guilt trip you, and I don't care. Because I don't know what you're doing this afternoon, but I know, you know, it's probably not as important as what, what you could be doing. Ha ha, there you go. I don't even have to say anymore. That's enough of a guilt trip. Here's the guilt trip. A few of us will be going to Evergreen Care Center to sing Christmas songs. And you know what's at Evergreen Care Center? I'm about to tell you. Old people. That's pretty much it. Old people and all the things that you need to, when old people are around. Like, I mean really old people. The saddest cases are actually the people who aren't very old but have to live there. The toughest cases. And you go there and some of them you don't even know what they understand. Some will talk what we would describe. I mean, I'm being a little bit brusque here, I, I know. But some will talk, and you have it at least in your mind, some will talk nonsense, at least nonsense to the hearer. The people, there are people there who are with it, but the very fact that we would describe them that way, and when you're walking down the stairs after you sing, you'll probably say, oh yeah, but you know, so-and-so, she's really with it. The very fact that you'll describe somebody like that means that, well, there's a lot of not with it around. Evergreen, safe to say, has never advertised around Christmas with the slogan, everything you need for the perfect Christmas. But I guarantee you, it's truer than at a store. I guarantee you. So don't worry, I'm not saying that everybody should go sing. Though, I, I mean, it'd be great if we had more people. Because if you sing there, you might see the woman near the front, hunched over in her chair. You, if, if you just walked in, you might think, is she going to make it through this 20 minutes? But she's been there every week for the past few years. And occasionally show up and then somebody's not there anymore. But you'll see this woman, long gray hair, long gray hair, which is some kind of statement. And she's holding a stuffed animal, and it looks like it looks like it could be over 75 years old, too. But you, you know what you might see her do if you look? If, she, if you can see her lift up just enough? You might see, you won't hear her, but you might see, see her mouth the words as you sing them. And another person over there. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. And if you see, if you experience something like that, it could be at Evergreen, it could be somewhere else. There's my ticket out for you not to feel guilty. 
Todd says I could feel this somewhere else, so I'm going to do that somewhere else. Okay, good. But if you do see it, you'll leave knowing this had more to do with the perfect Christmas than almost everything else I'm doing. The promise of peace. This is the peace of faith. And the call for the, Christ, for the church is always to people in this world and to one another, come to Christ. There is no place too dark for Him to redeem. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Christ the Lord. Amen.